Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode 48, the final Nephilim interview with Ryan Peterson. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell and once again you're listening to the show that tells you the secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. But today is a very special episode because I'm here with author Ryan Peterson. Ryan, welcome. Scott, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talk to you. Well, we are excited to have you. We are in beautiful downtown Dallas. I wish we could have the curtains open to show you a picture of the nice Dallas skyline, but it's so bright outside, the light would just wash out everything we're doing here, so you'll have to take our word for us. We're in the uh, Lorenzo Hotel here and really enjoying the the cool, quirky artwork, but uh, that's probably uh, fitting for the quirky topic we're going to be talking about today, (laughs) wouldn't you say? (laughs) Absolutely. So Ryan, of course, is the author of Judgment of the Nephilim, uh, the book that I just found one of the most fascinating and comprehensive books that I've ever read on the Nephilim and the giants of Genesis 6. It goes far deeper than that, but if you have not read this book, do yourself a favor, buy this book. He's got a website, judgmentofthenephilim.com, where you can order it directly there. You can probably get it from Amazon and many other locations, correct? Absolutely. All right. But the best news is you've got a new book coming out, right? Yes, I do. The sequel is coming shortly. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, Ryan. So I'm going to just kind of turn it over to you. Tell us about the new book. What is its title? What is the subject you're going to be covering? And just give us a good teaser. Absolutely. Well, the sequel, it's really the sequel to Judgment of the Nephilim, and it's called The Final Nephilim. And so in the first book, I really want you to explore Genesis 6, the fallen angels, the birth of the Nephilim, sons of God, daughters of men, and this jumps from Genesis to Revelation. And the, the, the main idea it's looking at is we have the, what I call the ultimate prophecy, Genesis 3.15, where God proclaimed to Satan that the redeemer of humanity and his conqueror would be a human child, the Messiah who would be born one day, who of course is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where the first book really went through. But at the same time, in that same prophecy, God said that he would put enmity between thy seed, meaning the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So there's another seed who is coming who was also prophesied and that seed of the serpent is the Antichrist, who I believe is the final Nephilim. And so this book now jumps from Genesis to Revelation and unravels all the end-time events and the mysteries of end-time prophecy to explore that the same angels who sinned in Genesis 6 will return in the end times. Wow. And the Antichrist, who is the final Nephilim, will also be unleashed on the earth in the final battle at Armageddon. It goes through all these things. And uh, 
Wow. My take on it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, your take in the first book was fantastic. Uh, what I loved about it especially was how biblically resourced it was. You know, <clears throat> you made passing references to, uh, to extra scriptural work, but you always... Um, preface that with how does it match or support scripture rather than saying this is more accurate than scripture. So I appreciate that. As a, as a Bible scholar, we love seeing it when people can show through the word. <clears throat> yes, yeah, science supports the Bible, not the other way around, right? So that was great. Um, so tell me about the, um, it, what is the contention in the returning of the Nephilim? Do you believe that uh, this is tied to and perhaps encrypted in Jesus' statement in Matthew 24 that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, that was how I ended the first book on right. a cliffhanger saying that we're going to pick up with the end times. And I think, you know, there's an amazing prophecy in Isaiah chapter 46 where God is, is pleading with Israel and the Israelites and explaining and saying, distinguishing how we can know that he truly is the God of gods, El Elyon, the most right. high God, above all the fallen angels, above the demonic realm, that he's the true creator. Right. And God's rested all on prophecy. God says, I've declared the end from the beginning. Who is like unto me? And so that was a big theme for the new book, that God is telling us that the way we can, the way God is putting his name on the line is that the fact that he has declared the end time events from the beginning. And so... Jesus in the in Matthew 24 gives us a reminder of that, saying that we need, if we want to know and understand Revelation, understand the great tribulation of the day of the Lord, we need to look to the days of Noah, right? And what was taking place there. And so I think what we're going to see is that it's going to be a repeat of what took place at that time, which was the open interaction between the fallen angels and humanity. Absolutely, yeah. I I believe that's exactly what he was talking about. And, and it's funny that in that passage when he mentioned in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. And the only reference to marriage in the days of Noah was the sons of God taking the daughters of men. So to me, he was pointing and saying, look at that. This is encoded. This is important. And uh, <clears throat> as I begin to understand how important typology is in the Bible, the more I study and how important the phrase is about there's nothing new under the sun, that which has been shall be again. Then we're starting to realize all of that is a part of the, part of the plan. Um, I'm going to go back and spend some time talking to you about some follow-up questions from the first book that may well tie into the new book. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the new book out yet. I'm going to ask you to talk about when the due date is <laughs> yes. for that and everything else a little bit later. But uh, there's dispute among some scholars that study this topic in the Bible. As to the source of the Rephaim, the giants that occupied the land of Canaan, and, and how they came to be there, uh, you posit, and I do agree with you about this, my own studies concurred with what you said in the first book, The Judgment of the Nephilim, but you posit that the DNA may have and probably did come through Ham's wife. Uh, it was like a recessive trait that showed up in Canaan. Others think there was a second incursion of angels, of fallen angels, to take wives, which you discount that possibility, and you refute it quite well in the, in the Bible, I mean, in your book, using the Bible. Can you elaborate on that? Why do you believe there's <clears throat> this strong contention that Mount Hernan, Herman factors into this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I understand there are many people, authors who uh, have done excellent work, who believe in the second angelic incursion, mm -hmm. but 
There are several reasons for why I disagree with that. The first is, the simplest one is that it's not mentioned in the Bible Amen. at all. So right away, that brings it into question, because there's no record whatsoever of angels ever doing that again after the flood, having fornication, marrying human women, having offspring. And if that was such a, a pivotal event that it required a, a, an entire chapter devoted to it, you'd think if it happened again, God would also tell us about that. A absolutely. And then I think there are two other very important reasons, and I think that it didn't happen again. And the first is that I think the evidence points to the DNA of the Nephilim traveling through the ark. And I think when you look at the genealogies in Scripture, which I love to do because I think they have lots of, they're small details, but they have very uh, very large amounts of revelation in them. Yes. There's something interesting about Noah in that when he, when he had his children, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, he was 500 years old when he had his, his sons. Right. All the patriarchs before him in the godly lineage had their first son by at least age 60, 65, 70. Mm. He waited 500 years. So why does that matter? Because when he was told and God instructed him to build the ark and told him of the forecoming end of the world, the flood coming, the flood judgment, God gave a 120-year probation Yes. between the time that he warned Noah and the time the flood was going to come. Correct. Noah stepped onto the ark at age 600. So by the time God had warned him, he was the, the, the testimony of Scripture in Genesis 6 was that all flesh had been corrupted. Yes. That the, the, the genetic corruption from this hybridization of fallen angels, fornicating with human women, had overrun the world. Right. And I believe that was pushing humanity to the point of extinction. And this is why the testimony to Noah is that he was perfect in his generations. He was tamim in Hebrew. He had a physical perfection. Right. That he was perfectly human as opposed to morally perfect. And tamim in the Hebrew is the same term used for like the spotless sacrifice. Exactly. Exactly. A okay. lamb without blemish is right. a that is tamim. Exactly. And so... So they were the last, so I believe Noah was the, that family, they were the last believers who were 100% human. And God says that he was preserving seed on the ark. That's right. And, and for the animals as well. Exactly. And so, and so, I, so I think that when you, then now you get it after the flood. So the odds, so the odds then of Noah's three sons finding three women to marry who had no trace of Nephilim DNA was going to be minimal. And then you throw in the fact that Ham, as we see in later chapters, didn't care about the prophecy, was not a believer, was a rebel, was a sinner, was a right. rebel against God in the whole messianic prophecy. He wouldn't have any concern about marrying a woman who carried that DNA. And I believe that's how it came across the ark. And then afterwards, uh, I go into extensive detail this, into this in the first book, is right. that you can trace the post-Diluvian giants all back to Canaan, yes. who, of course, is the son of Ham. And I think even when you look at the fact that you have this whole mysterious sin of Ham going into Noah's tent, Noah gets drunk and he sees his nakedness and right. whatever that may mean. Exactly. That's another debate. But the, what is not for debate is that when after it says Noah knew, knew what Ham sin. did to him, right. but yet he cursed Canaan. He didn't curse Ham, exactly. even though Ham committed the sin. And I believe that's because Noah already knew that Canaan was demonstrating signs of being a hybrid. Exactly. He yeah. must have been demonstrating the traits of gigantism, or not, not as we understand it today, but Nephilim gigantism, exactly. if you will. Exactly. And so maybe he was six years old and eight feet tall or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he would have obviously been the, the one that, that showed that truth and that trait. You know, um, you mentioned uh, that 120-year probation period, Ryan, 
And um, as you know, one of the extra biblical resources for some information that we can glean about the giants is the book of Enoch. And while we don't necessarily count that as scripture, and by the way, I read recently something I didn't know, that there were three different extant sources of the book of Enoch, uh, and the one that was from Ethiopia is the one they discovered also copied in the uh, scrolls, the Dead Sea the Scrolls. Dead sea scrolls yes. So th there's some evidence that there might be some more accuracy to that, but sure. historically speaking. But in that particular version, uh, it's given that one of God's angels, and it might have been the one that the Book of Enoch names Raphael, was told to go uh, cleanse the land or something prior to the flood coming. And the, there's an author that I've been reading recently that implies that that could have been the time in which they were doing the search for clean animals, for clean wives, for the sons. And do you believe there's anything to that? I mean, or do you think that's pure speculation and conjecture? Yeah, you know, it, you know, I, I would say half and half, right? Yeah. I mean, there could, you know, we don't know exactly who assisted Noah in finding the wives. We know that obviously his sons were all married, so it's it's it's, it's possible. And yeah. additionally, you know, I, I find it's an interesting parallel between. Adam and Noah, they're, they're very similar in that way. That oh, yeah. They had a supernatural connection to animals. So were the animals shepherded to the ark right. by angels? It's very possible. Did yep. they come on their own? Because we don't know with Adam, we know he named all of them. So we, right. but we don't know how they all came to him for him to name. Maybe they came of their own volition or they were instructed by God or angels just led them to Adam to be named. So it's a similar, exactly. it, it's, it's possible, certainly. That's the, well, um, one of the interesting things that that brings up is that, um, and you kind of mentioned this just now in passing, um, when all flesh had corrupted its way on the earth, it wasn't just humanity that was tainted, hybridized, and, and corrupted, but the animal creation as well. So the need for God to find uh, two of every kind of animal that had not been corrupted. And so obviously through the fornication with the, the daughters of men, angels um, had sons born to them that were the Nephilim. But that doesn't mean they also weren't perhaps experimenting genetically with God's other created beings, animals, and creating the, uh, the hybrid monsters of mythology, such as minotaurs and uh, cyclopses and whatever. You know, do you believe there's something to that as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, I 100% believe that. And I think they were experimenting with animals, which is why God had to specify bring on animals after their own kind. You exactly. Know, these are genetic terms that God's using. So God was preserving, again, he said to preserve seed, to preserve his genetic order. And I think that hybridization program with the animals is the basis for all of these hybrid creatures from mythology, like the Minotaur, the Centaur, right. all those creatures, I think it's all based on what took place in the days of Noah. And that was also the understanding of many of the church fathers. Justin Martyr writes about that specifically, saying that the mythologies of ancient Greece were all based on what took place in Genesis chapter 6. And for that matter, I'm understanding that the writings, uh, I forget if it was Plato, but I think he wrote the most from the Greeks about Atlantis. Exactly. And uh, that's somewhat symbolic of the that age of the giants and the Nephilim. It's probably their distorted understanding or tradition of those kings that reigned back in that time and the, the, the violence and the devastation they wreaked on the human population. Definitely. And, it, and it's, it's a pretty close copy, really, yeah. of, of the days of Noah. So, I mean, I do a kind of a side-by-side -side comparison 
uh, in Judgment of the Nephilim, showing how so much of what Plato wrote that it was about, you know, that Atlantis was started by a god who fell in love with a human woman there and you wanted go. to build a city for her, and he had hybrid sons, uh, five hybrid sons, and that even some of the things that are described in terms of the minerals that existed in Atlantis are similar to the minerals that we get details about the Garden of Eden. That is, there's bdellium and onyx and gold. And gold you know, these, again, yeah. these little small details have lots of revelation. That's exactly what Plato wrote, wrote about. And, uh, and then the fact that it was the sins of the gods intermingling too much with humanity in Atlantis that led to it being destroyed by a flood. That's Plato's own writing. So, I mean, again, the similarities are pretty stark when you examine them. And so it all goes back to Genesis 6. It really is, Ryan. And I think that since many, many cultures have flood accounts, have gods intermingling with man accounts, you know, what they would have called the gods, of course, uh, the fallen angels. Um, and really, when you think about it, the Genesis 6 narrative of that event the way it's written is almost like, like you said, you have to dig for the details. Uh, it's almost written in passing like, oh, yeah, there were some giants, which right. is not how it's actually written. <laughs> yeah. But it would seem that if Moses is the author of the book of Genesis, his perspective was he didn't have to give tons of obvious details because it was already so well known and understood from the traditions of, 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 of yore, so to speak, that Mesopotamia, um, Canaan, Egypt, all those regions knew about and remembered those events. You know, they were still distorted as they may have been through the Egyptians' idolatry or the Canaanitic idols. The Hebrew people knew about and remembered or, or had been taught by tradition. A absolutely. And they were still fighting them. Yeah. So they, so they still, they were still, they were still, Encounter them they, they well. still saw them. So. so then they turn right around and see, uh, do you believe that the Rephaim giants, the Anakims and whoever, Og of Bashan, Goliath, uh, do you believe they were of lesser stature than their ancestors before the flood? I do. I do. I think that with successive generations, they, the, the Nephilim got smaller and smaller until you get to Goliath, who we say was six cubits in a span. So he's roughly anywhere from eight to nine feet, depending on which cubit you're using. Right. Even, even looking at just post-flood giants, you have Goliath there, but then you have generations before him, King Og, who you mentioned of Bashan, where... His bedstead, they said, was about 13 feet, right. so, which would put him probably at 12 feet to yeah. 11 feet. So, yeah, I think because, again, mm -hmm. and this is a, another interesting detail, is that you see a lot of the Rephaim after the flood, they're, they're described as being born of the giant, right. as opposed to being offspring of the sons of God, the Benai Ha Elohim. So I think that's the reason why they got smaller, because they, were, they weren't born directly from the angels. They were lesser beings in the sense that they were born from other Nephilim. Good point, good point. I'm glad you caught that detail. That's really interesting. Well, that, and I'm also glad you answered that way, because it brings up another question for me, sure. which is, so what we could presume uh, is that as the degradation of the human species continues to decline, and I do believe through sin we're getting genetically infected, inferior every generation. Therefore, the giants could have been inferior to their ancestors as well. Absolutely. Do you think there's any plausibility to the, to the thought, the theory, that maybe today fallen angels are operating genetically with human beings through so-called alien abductions, whatever, and that's their modus operandi now? And now that we're in more inferior than even the days of Goliath, obviously, because we're getting worse, not better, you know, health issues and things like that, uh, that maybe they are doing what they do and they experiment with abductions and things like that because they're trying to find ways to make these hybrids again. 
Yes, definitely. And in the final Nephilim, I get into the UFO alien phenomenon and, and what I call the UFO deception, essentially. Yeah. And that I, I outline the reason for why I believe it's all a spiritual phenomenon, that people who are encountering UFOs or alien beings, um, it's, 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 it's uh, the, the actions of the fallen angels and the demons as opposed to physical beings from another planet. Right. And so, yeah, so I think that, you know, it's no coincidence that in many of the accounts of uh, that people have who are witnesses or encountered aliens, that they say, hey, they were operating on our reproductive organs or yeah. trying to impregnate someone or things like that. I think that all that is a goal to fulfill Daniel 2.43. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. That right. it's all building towards going back to the days of Noah and trying to restart the hybridization program that the fallen angels had in ancient times and antiquity. Fascinating. And you know, some of my questions are coming from my listeners that there's there's a quite a bit of fascination with these kind of things about UFOs and abductions. And uh, as you and I have both been guests on uh, George Norrie's show, Coast yes. to Coast, you know that audience is fascinated with that kind of information too. So uh, I know some listeners have asked me, I'm gonna ask you your opinion about this, such Entities as greys, reptilians, whatever, you know. Uh, do you think it's possible that those are artificially created beings that the fallen angels have used human reproductive capabilities to, to create, or do you think they're an illusion, they're just demonic spiritual beings? Uh, you know, I think it is possible. You know, I, I, actually, I actually think that's actually been my thought about when people discuss... Uh, Primates, Neanderthal man, Cro-Magnon, the bones they find that, you know, because genetically, geneticists, when they examine, say, the hair of a, of a Neanderthal, mm -hmm. uh, they're not a genetic match to humans. Oh. And so, but yet they exist. And so I think, I believe that if those beings, those primate beings from ancient times, from, the, from tens of thousands of years ago, were a part of that era of, again, this angelic experimentation. So is it possible that in modern times they're trying the same thing and are physically creating some type of being that represents itself or appears as a gray or an alien being? I think it's possible as well. You know, that's fascinating. I, I truly think it's, it is very plausible because um, obviously when God created man, only man was given the commandment and the capabilities to reproduce which was the primary ordinance God gave us when he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, so it would make sense that if angels are also sons of God, which Adam was too, uh, but a human rather than an angel, um, they might have looked on and at least the fallen angels that were in rebellion would have said, well, we can do that or we should try to do that. And they had no way to do it amongst themselves. So they, the only other resources they would have had to do is exactly what happened in Genesis 6 or some sort of technological experiments. Exactly. Right? So I, I think it's very plausible as well. Ryan, shifting gears, why is Mount Hermon considered the so-called landing site or portal to the fallen angels realm? By so many. Yeah, so I, I, I think that it's, it's really the Book of Enoch is really, you know, kind of identifies Mount Hermon as that location. Uh -huh. uh, I don't see it that way. I have a different interpretation. Right. So I definitely lean much more towards the Jordan River right. uh, being that location. But I think, you know, uh, that most of the authors who point to Mount Hermon are getting that because the Book of Enoch really kind of identifies explicitly as that was the. So you think that's the reason why they lean in that direction? Yeah, I think that's where they're getting it from, yeah. 
We've talked about this, but not in great detail in the last interview we did. Tell me more about why your focus is on the Jordan River and why water seems to be that spiritual realm portal. Yeah, sure. So uh, kind of piggybacking on our last question, you know, I call the Jordan River the Area 51 yeah. of the Bible. I so, love that. <laughs> so that's what I really think it is because there's a sheer amount of supernatural events that take place around the Jordan River. So right. the first thing that I looked at is the just the etymology of the word Jordan means the place of their descent. And so immediately looking at the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis, where names hold a great deal of meaning and mm -hmm. significance. So right from the start, there was a reason for why it was called the place of their descent. Yeah. And then if you look at just some of the events I point to that take place in the Jordan River, first of all, God identified the Jordan River as the border into the promised land. You know, if you look at the way the Israelites marched to into the promised land, they went completely around the southern part of the nation, looped and around, and God the, insisted they the cross east. at the Jordan River, which parted like the Red Sea. That's true. It's not as well known of a parting, but it also supernaturally parted when it was time to enter the promised land. That's so true. That was one thing. You can look at, say, the, uh, the prophet Elijah when he was being pursued by Ahab and Jezebel he was supernaturally fed by ravens at the brook Charith, which is a brook of the Jordan River. Correct. When he was raptured to heaven, it was at the Jordan River that he was taken up in the chariots of fire right. up into heaven. You have Naaman, the Syrian military commander, when he was healed of leprosy, the prophet, the prophet Elisha told him, dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Right. So again, you see the supernatural occurrence <laughs> there. And then... Uh, he, uh, Jacob, when he has the dream of the ladder uh, with angels ascending and descending, was in Bethel, that is due west of the Jordan River. That's right. I remember that one when we yeah. talked about before. And then the greatest event, of course, is the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ when he's baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River, and you have the portal, heaven literally opens, and God the Father speaks from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove onto Jesus. And of course, God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And it's at the Jordan River, the place of their descent. So I think all the events, uh, those events and many more point to this being the landing spot. In addition to the fact that I give lots of examples in Judgment of the Nephilim of angels manifesting near rivers. You see this in the book of Daniel, for example, many True. times. And Ezekiel, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I love that explanation. I think it's, and you make it so clear, I didn't want to attempt to try to do it myself. I think that, uh, especially the account of uh, Jacob wrestling um, near Bethel, near the Jordan, that to me is such a clear, it's almost like to me, I imagine like an escalator right. to heaven, you know. <laughs> if that's not a portal or a stargate or whatever, you know, I don't know what more you need. But I'm going to throw you a little curveball, and what do you think about this? I've been, this is something I'm pondering, so I may be completely out of left field, but when John the Baptist was baptizing in Jordan, um, at some point Pharisees came to him and they, and he said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Remember sure, that? Sure, sure. And at some point they got indignant and said, we're the sons of Abraham. And he said, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, I believe he was referring to the 12 stones that Joshua put in the Jordan River when, as you mentioned, they parted the Jordan River uh, as the Red Sea. And um, there's references in the scriptures to can a nation be born in a day. 
And uh, you and I would probably agree that we believe the rapture is going to is an event that's going to take place prior to the wrath of God yes. falling because we've been delivered from the wrath to come. And since the message of that time for Israel is going to be carried out by 144,000 British, uh, British, I'm sorry, Jewish, <laughs> Jewish male virgins, I don't know where the word British came in my head, um, those, um, those Jewish men, do you think there's a possibility they're going to be born of the 12 stones? That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Really? <laughs> I love it. Am I losing that my is brain? really that is really, really good. So you know, so I think you know that that is such an interesting ritual, really, that God instructed Joshua and the Israelites to carry out. Right. And uh, you know, I you know, I've never ever heard that that uh, interpretation before, but I think there's really some credibility to it because for the simple fact that um I don't believe that that Jesus ever throws out a statement just for the sake of it. Exactly. <laughs> he, he means everything he says, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's, re that's really, really good. I, I, I actually, I like that a lot. So uh, Wow. Well, I'll dig into it more, yeah. and I may be consulting with you more sure. about that. But I think there might be something to that. And the reason I say that is because the passages that refers to in, in Isaiah, shall I bring to the birth and not bring forth? And then you see in Revelation 12, a woman travailing in birth, pain to be delivered. Absolutely. Now, many interpret that as the birth of Christ because the man-child is caught up to the God's throne. I take a different view of that. Since it's in the time of tribulation and labor of a woman with child is always a type of Israel's tribulation yes. throughout Scripture to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Then I think it's the birth of the man-child is the 144,000. And there might be something to that. They're obviously going to reign with Christ when he comes back and he rules the nation with a rod of iron. He promises earlier in the chapters of Revelation that those that overcome will rule with the rod of iron. So the body, the church, Israel, however you want to put them all together, are going to be reigning with Christ. So there could be something to that, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, and again, in the final Nephilim, I get into this a lot, that, you know, we talk about double fulfillments of prophecy. Yes. And I believe that's, that's an understatement. I think many, many prophecies have multiple fulfillments throughout Absolutely. Scripture. And so I think that Revelation 12 there, 1 to 4, where you're talking about the woman and the dragon, I believe that's fulfilled at many occurrences that God is yeah. showing us. Because, again, the interesting thing about Revelation is that it's the only book that is written outside of time. John is in heaven recording these That's things true. outside. Of, so he's seeing things. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you what is, what has been, and what is to come. So he, so the setup of the entire book is that we're seeing time pass in a way that we don't see in any other book of the Bible. And so yeah. I think it's very possible that that could definitely have a great tribulation application that's referring specifically to the, the birth of the 144,000 and mm. their assignment um, to, be, to be witnesses, yeah. as well as also symbolizing the birth of Christ and the persecution of the dragon. I think that even goes back to Moses. That when you see the dragon trying to destroy the man-child, it's no different than Pharaoh saying, just kill all the male babies. It's all about stopping the messianic bloodline. Well, you're right. You're right. The, the dragon's manifestation could have been in Egypt with Moses. It could have been with Herod and Christ. And it could have been with the birth of the man-child. It could have been all these things. Exactly. You're right. Because, yeah, there, there's, that's what's so beautiful about the Word of God. God's symbolism goes deeper than we can imagine. Sometimes. Exactly. So that's fascinating. Exactly. Well, on, going back a little bit, but on the same note with the, the 144,000, um, is it possible that the city and tower of Babel in Genesis 11 was being constructed 
by mankind who at that time was of one language, one nation, one, one, one people, uh, to entice angels to come back and interact with them as they did in Genesis 6. That Was that really the egregious sin? That Because obviously we can think, well, certainly prior to the deluge, there may have been technology far advanced that we can comprehend. But afterwards, they kind of started over with nothing. You right. know, and so they wanted that information again. So whatever they were building, be it a ziggurat, the city and the tower, be it uh, the, the you know, Sears Tower or something that big, I don't think it would have been that big. But it was enough to where God had to come down. It got his attention. And then he said nothing would be restrained from them whatsoever they imagined. So Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. What is your take on their, their motive and what they were really trying to do with that city? Yeah, I agree with you 100% that this was an attempt to access the heavenly realm, that mm. that was the ultimate goal of the tower. And again, of course, you know, Nimrod is the grandson of Ham. So again, he's right. coming from that lineage that... <laughs> had the knowledge of the antediluvian era without the reverence for God. And so I think it was an attempt to uh, re reunite with the fallen angels and bring back the knowledge that, that was possessed before the flood and, and, and usurp God. They wanted to reach heaven. They wanted to reach heaven. And one thing that I point out in both books is that when it comes to any events in Scripture that involve the fallen angels mingling with humanity, that's when God gets directly involved and will always directly intervene, whether it's the flood, whether, again, the wars in Canaan, where it was the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, actually fighting the wars in front of the Israelite armies, right. so that God gets personally involved, or Sodom and Gomorrah, where, again, you have an attempt to fornicate with angels, that God will get directly involved. I think the Tower of Babel was another one of those events where that's what their true goal was, was to, again, reach the fallen angels and bring back the days of Noah, essentially. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, we talked briefly before we started the interview today, and you gave us a little bit of hints and, and gleanings into what the, the new book, Judgment of the Nephilim, final, the Nef, final Nephilim is about. Uh, let me say that better so it doesn't sound what, what the new book, The Final Nephilim, is about. And um, you talked a little bit about genetics and DNA and things like that. We were discussing that. Um, 
I've got another working theory that I'm going to do something with at some point. Uh, but I think that uh, we know in the scripture that, according to Second Peter, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, right? You, yes. you and I have talked about this before. And a thousand years is one day. I do think that is a, uh, a key to prophetic understanding. I really do. I don't think that's just metaphorical alone. I think it's meant for a reason. Um, we also know that historically Israel, uh, after rejecting all the prophets over and over again and finally rejecting the king that God sent as Messiah, uh, they were destroyed and dispersed as a nation back in 70 A.D. Um, I believe the book of Hosea prophetically is basically the bill of divorce from God the father to Israel the wife. Sure. If you'll allow me to use that. And I do think that's what that, that whole purpose of that book is. In chapter 5, verse 15, God is speaking, and I bet you know the passage. He says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. So I see in my mind, as Moses prophesied back in the book of Deuteronomy, that God's hidden face would continue until Israel realizes as a nation what they did. It's interesting to me that in the very next chapter, he, uh, Hosea 6, 1, Israel responds and they say, come, let us return to the Lord. For he hath stricken and he will heal us. He hath smitten, he will bind us up. But here's the fascinating part. He says, after two days, he will revive us. And in the third day, we shall live in his sight. So in my mind, if I do math, and we can't know the hour or the day, obviously you know that. So we're not, I'm not trying to predict anything. But if Jesus Christ was crucified in AD 33, then 2,000 years later or two days, according to the Julian calendar, obviously we're, it's not Hebrew, 2033. Right now, let's get back to this thing about DNA and vaccines and everything yeah. else. Right. Uh, if Christ were to return in 2033, have you heard of something from the World Economic Forum called Agenda 2030? Do you bring that up in the new book at all? I do not. OK, no. so Agenda 2030 is also being referred to as the Great Reset. And evidently, these powers that be, whoever they might be in my podcast, I call them the satanic global elite. Uh, they're interested in taking over the world's economic system. We can see that happening all around us. And the economic system of the Antichrist has clearly got to be something he can control. Absolutely. <clears throat> Just completely speculating, if Christ did come back in AD 33, then the rapture would have to occur at least seven years before that, roughly, which would put him in 2026. Again, not trying to tell you, my <laughs> listeners, that I think the rapture is going to happen in 2026. But let's just playing, you know, devil's advocate. If that did happen, then the middle of the week would be around 2030, which right. is kind of fascinating it that there's is. an agenda 2030. Sure. Not asking you to comment on that crazy wild theory of mine, but how do you feel or do you address anything related to um, things concerning the vaccine or genetic manipulations or whatever you want to call that? Address that for me, if you will, and see how that maybe ties into what's coming. Certainly. I mean, so there's a, there's a convergence, uh, and I talk, get into this extensively, between the scientific world and Bible prophecy, mm. which to me is another indicator that we're getting closer and closer to the end times. Amen. And so when you look at genetic research, I talk about the different, uh, the different efforts at transhumanism. You have these billionaire Silicon Valley tech moguls who are researching what they call life extension technology, ah. manipulating genetics to really seek immortality. You know, Larry Page at Google, this company called Calico, that they, he's investing billions into this. You know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, all of these really super wealthy 
tech moguls are researching different innovations that they can find to try and promote immortality, downloading their consciousness into artificial intelligence, do something to actually literally be as God, to not die. All mm. the original promises from Genesis chapter 3. And so what do I think the, the connection to Bible prophecy is? Is that ultimately what will happen in the reign of the Antichrist, the, the, the mark of the beast is, while is both an economic component, clearly, sure, because the, obviously the Antichrist will control the global economy. Can't buy or sell without it. Without it, exactly. But also there'll be a genetic component to it. Mm -hmm. And that eventually, essentially, you know, the Antichrist is just a complete mirror satanic mimicry of Jesus Christ. And as you know, we right. are in Christ, our salvation, and it's important to remember that Christian salvation is not just spiritual, it is also genetic. That Christ is saving us in our soul and bodily. That's that right. Our bodies will we will receive a regenerated, Amen. immortal, celestial body. And then, you know that we're told that when we see when we see Jesus, we shall be as Him. Exactly. So there's two components to our salvation: so our soul first, but then our body. That's right. And so the Antichrist will offer something similar. I believe that's what the mark will be that he will offer to say that you know everything in Revelation 13 turns on the death and return to life of the Antichrist. That's right. Once he is wounded, he receives the deadly wound and is healed, that's when the world wonders after him. That's when they say, who is like unto him? Who can make war with him? That's when they see him as God. Right. And he, I believe, will offer and say, well, now I can offer you the same immortality I have. You can overcome death by taking the mark. And so I think the ultimate fruition of all this genetic research and all the collection of DNA, we talked about that's taking place, whether it's 23andMe and all these services where people are paying to give their DNA and their genetic information to mm. different services to create a massive database that exists now to explore the human genome and, and potentially manipulate genetics, <clears throat> it will all culminate, I believe, with the mark. And, that, and, and this, again, goes back to the days of Noah because right. it was the corruption. God said that the end of all flesh has come before me because we, we were genetically corrupted. And Satan's goal was to simply make us something other than human, other than image bearers of God. And exactly. the mark will be the last attempt to do that. And I believe that's also why it, there's no repentance for it. There's no forgiveness. If you take the mark, you are eternally damned with no chance of redemption because you are no longer human. So are you, are you saying that, and I, I think I agree with this because we've, we've maybe talked about this before, but it, or you've written about it, um, that a physical genetic change is going to take place on the recipients of the mark of the beast so that they are no longer purely home, human and therefore cannot be redeemed. Precisely. Yeah. That's a frightening thought. Yeah. You know, which is one of the reasons why I feel like there's almost been, if you will, an explosion of understanding. Uh, I, I met you. I've, I've learned of prophecy uh, watchers, Gary Stearman. Uh, Marzuli, all the rest of them. Many, many people today are coming to the same understanding at about the same time, as if to say God is saying, yeah, it's time for them to know this because now they need to know. We're close to the time. Exactly. Know? So he's given a lot of wisdom and grace and understanding to people, authors, whatever. Uh, so I think that we're making a, a real push to say it's like the final stretch. This is our last attempt to reach people with the gospel message before they're not going to be able to be saved, you know, and the wrath of God is falling on the earth. So would you say that could also be a motivating factor of what you're doing with your books? That is definitely the motivating factor. Yeah. You know, I love the mysteries of Scripture. I absolutely love it. Amen. It's, it's, it's my most, I enjoy it more than anything. Um, 
but the, the, the main goal behind everything I do when I write is to share the gospel, to yeah. share the plan, to give that sense of urgency that we don't have much time left. You know, yeah. we can simply look in the book of Revelation and, and you look at the, the events and there is not much that's described that we don't have the technology for today. That's true. You look at the two witnesses, they are killed in the street and everyone sees their dead bodies all over the world. That's easily CNN. achievable today. Easily, easily. <laughs> right. Everyone can watch it on their, on their phones now. True, but, yeah. You know, 10 years ago, that wouldn't even have been the case, but now it's easily done. When, when they're killed, there'll probably be a bunch of people with their phones right yeah, there. live streaming it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I have no doubt it'll be live streamed yeah. all, all, over, all over social media. And so, uh, and similarly with the mark, we can easily see a technology where, whether it's an RFID or a, a digital stamp that could control buying and selling. That's all technology right. that exists today. So there's nothing, there's not much left that could not be achieved right now. So yeah. that's another indicator of me of how close we are to the end times. And it's so important, I think, you know, uh, programs like yours and like Prophecy Watchers that are keeping the eye on the prize, which is pointing to the second coming, pointing to the great tribulation. Because one thing I think we don't discuss enough is that when Jesus came and was rejected by Israel, much of that rejection had to do with their lack of understanding of prophecy. Mm, that's said, true. That they did not recognize. Jesus said that he, when he wept for Jerusalem, he said, you did not know the time of your visitation. Right. Meaning, had you known the prophecies and been studying prophecy, you'd know exactly who I am. And so I worry all the time that the modern church is falling into that same trap because they don't want to talk about prophecy. Oh, I couldn't and agree more. so it's important that have ministries like yours and like Gary Stearman's and like Marzulli, who's a good friend of mine, and I'm very, I support everything he does, yeah. to get the word out. And it's a powerful witness because, uh, you know, there are many people who are into the supernatural but aren't Christians. Yeah. And, I, you know, and it's programs like yours that can pull them in and understand, wow, the Bible has a real explanation for these things. And that's, that's what right. I try to achieve. And with my writings as well, people are fascinated by these topics and but might not believe in Jesus Christ. And so one, we want to help them spread the word and we want to give urgency to Christians who already believe that they need to focus on the gospel because time is short. That is so true. And, and what Ryan, I couldn't agree more with Ryan. What he's talking about is the fact that, you know, I'm getting... Uh, contacted by people all over the world uh, after they've heard the podcast, they're either saying things like, uh, I didn't think anybody else thought like I did, you know, or uh, what do we do in times like these? It's so scary and whatever. And there are scary times as well. We, we may be trying to expose or reveal or, or uh, uh, disclose secrets in the Bible, but the truth of the gospel is simple. And the hope that we have, no matter how bad things get, are really what we're trying to communicate. That Christ died for your sins. You can trust him as your Lord and Savior. And I love the way you put it earlier, Ryan, about our salvation is not only spiritual, but it's physical. Because I think a lot of people, myself included growing up, thought of heaven as this sort of nebulous ether. Yeah. And, and we're either like cartoon cats like Sylvester <laughs> strumming a, a harp on a cloud, you know, with a halo. Or we're like sort of the ghost-like figures. But no, God created heaven, and the, the, the heaven is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Exactly. We're going to be physically interacting, embracing, creating, discovering, exploring, uh, composing. I mean, yep. you know, you'll be writing books, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll be comparing notes, maybe jamming on guitar or something. You know, I hope to be able to sit in with Louis Armstrong and All Ella right. Fitzgerald. One I like it. You I know, like I mean, it. that is my <laughs> desire. I want Christ to go, yeah. I like it. I like the way I'll use your I'm 
you on trumpet? Uh, do you play? I do. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Okay, we got to talk. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, um, so um, getting back to some things that you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, do you think there's any correlation between Genesis 11 and Zechariah 5, where there's a flying ephod that goes and is delivered to the plain of Shinar? In other words, could that be another picture of maybe UFO-type deceptions that are coming, Shinar being where Babylon exactly. was. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's, I think it's a, a big possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, that Those chapters, especially of Zachariah, those early chapters, there's a great deal of angelic activity going on. Right. So and near the, the rivers. Exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. So yeah, so I, I think that's a, a, another indication of, I think what God is telling us there is that there is a fallen angelic or demonic presence right. that is going to be centered around Shinar. I think it's a, it's, it's a prophetic warning. And yeah. so, again, when you, and, and this is something I, you know, I, I love going deep into the ancient church fathers, into, you know, ancient rabbinical sources, Jewish sources, and yeah, writings from the 17th, 18th, 19th century, because I think there's a lot of great commentary that we don't normally discuss. And so... In the final Nephilim, I quote Hippolytus, okay. who wrote uh, on Christ and Antichrist, which is the oldest writing on Revelation that's extant today. It's written circa 202 AD. And oh, there's wow. one section where he talks about Revelation 12, and he gets this amazing description that I kind of expand on, where he says, you know, he's, basically the way I write it is saying, imagine, you know, we know that the, the, in the days of Noah, the waters came from the fountains of the deep right. and the windows of heaven. Right. In the end times, it's going to be a similar flood, but it's going to be an angelic flood. You have at the fifth, trum the fifth trumpet, the bottomless pit is open, and you have these locusts come right. from the abyss. And then you have Fallen Revelation angels. 12, the wind that Satan is finally evicted after the war in heaven with Michael, and it says, and his angels with him. Come down. So you have angels coming from, fallen angels coming from the sky and from the deep. The deep. So it's, it's, again, a repetition of the flood. Wow. And Hippolytus, he basically says, imagine a scenario where you have fallen angels who are beautiful, who are singing praises and hymns to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is bathed in light, wow. floating in the sky, and oh the false word. prophet is calling fire from heaven, you know, and which I just got chills. <laughs> which, of course, throughout the Bible, fire from heaven is a sign of God's approval, that, you know, when God consumes a sacrifice, you know, that was just, with fire, that's a sign of his approval, like he did with David at the threshing floor. Wow. And so that type, you know, when we talk about strong delusion, yeah. this is what's going to happen. Oh so it's going to be, it's not going to be, before we get to the destruction, there's going to be, I think, something that's going to appear to be beautiful. Exactly. It's going to appear to be amazing. You know, that's how people are going to be deluded. They're going to think this is God, this is the Savior. And they may present themselves as beings from another planet who have we seeded the earth, we created you thousands of years right. ago, and now we're back to help you advance and, and evolve to Homo novus in some transhumanist dream, or yeah. they can say we are the true good beings from heaven, and so that. So I think it's 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 uh, that can all play a huge role in what Paul calls the strong delusion that will lead people to worship the Antichrist. Wow, you're right. That's that's almost the Luciferian point of view is always that Yahweh is the is the big bully that doesn't he wants to keep wisdom from us. It, exactly. And Lucifer is the bringer of light. He wants to give you the the secret hidden knowledge. Uh, you know, you just when you just described that thing about the flood and where the waters came from, comparing them to the angels, it just suddenly opened up my thinking about Revelation 12 when the serpent opens his mouth 
month and the flood comes exactly. out. Do you deal with that in the new one as well? Uh, uh, of course, yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for yeah, the new book. Yeah, so. Well, let's talk about the new book then. <laughs> sure, uh, you, sure. you had uh, told me before we started the interview that you've just been completing some uh, basically audiovisual type information or, or resources. Talk to us about that. Sure. So, uh, and this is really for those who. Uh, watching or listening who've supported me or who have met me at conferences, this is 100% for you. So one of the greatest uh, experiences I have since I've been an author Mm -hmm. is going to Bible Prophecy Conferences. And and I really miss them with COVID, that we don't have them. And so it's so great because it's you're speaking to readers and Christians who have so much passion, the same level of passion that I do, that you do, for understanding scripture, for Bible prophecy, for really trying to grow in our knowledge. And so... One of the most common questions I get when I'm on the road at conferences is, are, will you ever make a study guide for your book? <laughs> so, you know, and I understand there's a lot of information. I quote a lot of sources. I yeah. do a lot of, so it's a lot of information. And so, uh, and, and, you know, I'm honored and blessed that many people have written me or told me that they are doing small group studies. Churches have taught on Judgment and Nephilim and done series on them. And so I really wanted to make uh, a study guide that could be a companion to the book um, to, wow. to get in depth and really grasp the concepts and understand, I feel lots of commentary in it as well. And so I have a study guide for both Judgment of the Nephilim and for the final Nephilim. And then also another question I get is if I would ever do a documentary version of the books. And ah. so I've done, so I have documentaries that I'm finishing right now uh, on both books. So it's Judgment of the Nephilim, it's called Secrets of the Pre Flood World. And then the final Nephilim battle for heaven and earth. And so wow. I worked with a, a production. Documentaries, are, are they going to be on television? or how So do they're going to be on Amazon Prime as well as oh. is available on DVD. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. And I worked with a production company that's done Hollywood films before. They've done an amazing job. There's lots of cool effects. Wow, and that's you know, fantastic. So, yeah. So, and, it, and I think it's, and I, I'm excited because I, the way I kind of situated it was is that I want, you have the book that has obviously all my research and all my work just presented directly. Mm -hmm. And then the study guide, obviously, if you want to really get deep into the concepts, but then my hope is that the documentary could be a great introductory Right. For it could be for a Christian who's just trying to learn, but you want to get an overview, Mm because I kind of go over all the big concepts, as as well as for non-believers who are just into the supernatural and all this kind of cool, weird stuff. Yeah. And they just, you know, surfing on Amazon Prime. And, and there's a lot of them good. out there looking for answers. Exactly. It's a perfect way to exactly. introduce them to exactly. the Word of God. Yep. Wow, Ryan, that is so exciting. Well, um, I, I've got uh, so many more questions, but I don't have enough time, and I certainly don't <laughs> want to take more of your time. Sure. But I, I just want you to know your book that has been such a blessing to me. I'm so grateful to God that you wrote it. I can't wait for the new one. And uh, and so do you have a timeline that you can talk about? When will it be out? Yeah, so we're very close. I get asked all the time. We're very, very close. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm literally putting the finishing touches on the workbooks right now, and mm-hmm. the documentaries are basically done. And so my goal is in the first week of August to have all these five <laughs> new items available for pre-order. And then in September, probably either by September 7th, September 15th, sometime in that range, and I'll, of course, announce all this on my social media, it will actually be available for sale on Amazon and all the different outlets on my website and things wow. like that. So Fantastic. And, and by the way, on that note, this is actually the hardcover version of Judgment of Nephilim, oh. uh, which I brought for you. 
Well, thank you. Yes, oh my gosh, yes. and I don't have a hard copy. Yeah, yeah. It's just—it's very new. We, we just—they they just Amazon just started selling the hard copy version really? of it, the hardcover just a few weeks ago. Well, I can't thank you and enough. So, yes, yeah, I'm so, going to uh, cherish this. I have absolutely. to get you to sign it. Really, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, I definitely want to be able to say, "Hey, this is right." <laughs> well, uh, and now will the new book also eventually be available in a hardcover as well? Do you think? Yeah, from day one, actually. From it'll day be, one. It'll oh, be fantastic! Hardcover and paperback, ebook. So yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm a technology guy. I work for a technology company. Company as my as my day gig, you know, uh, but I tell you, there is nothing like a book. I mean, to me, when I study the Bible, I prefer to read it yes. in, a, in a cover to cover. I mean, you know, with a with a cover on it. But having a hardcover is nice for me because it just kind of lays open, and you know, you don't have to. Uh, so anyway, for those of you that uh, are have never bought Ryan's book, I can't encourage you to look into it enough. And if you're going to buy one and you like books like I do, get the hard copy. Uh, because, boy, that's that to me, that's, I like to collect them. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's great. Likewise. I can't thank you enough for that. So good. So the, so the final Nephilim will also be in hardcover. Yes. We'll have documentaries out soon. Yes. We're going to have, um, I, is this still in the workings? You and I briefly spoke once about uh, what we call bonus content. Is that a thing that can Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Okay. I just finished it, actually. So oh, it's really? actually, so, so in the final Nephilim book, whether you buy it, uh, in a hardcover, paperback, or the ebook, so there's going to be special bonus video bonus content. So there'll oh, be okay. QR codes that you can scan. I just got them put in the manuscript. They're all done. That wow. will take you to bonus video content where I give uh, bonus video commentary. I include some material, some research material I didn't have in the book. And I actually, there's one, just to give a preview, I actually do one, uh, there's one, they're after at the end of different chapters, and there's one segment that was actually a chapter I wanted to include in the book that I didn't at all that's on end time Nephilim deception that goes into some of the books and movies about the Nephilim that are out right now that are super popular. So I, that's all oh. included in the bonus content. See, now i got to get the bonus content because <laughs> I've been, you know, Ryan, I've gone back and like um, I took some time off uh, from work for different reasons, vacation and whatnot. And uh, my wife and I decided we were going to go back and review the movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I've seen them before, like when they first showed up in the movie theaters, but I was astounded at how much fiction is paralleling what prophecy is saying from a Hollywood distorted perspective. Yeah. But, you know, when you think about things like, um, I, I, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I, I do like the Avengers. <laughs> and the big enemy, Thanos, yeah. decides that he's got to, he thinks that balance must be brought to the universe by eliminating half the population of the universe. I believe right now that there are some sinister individuals wanting to reduce the population of the planet. Uh, that they're Malthusian, and, sure. and they think oh, yeah. that we sure. should only be 500 million on the whole face of the earth. Have you heard of these things? Yeah, of course. Agenda uh, 21 and Malthus, uh, Aldous Huxley. I mean, this has been around. This is going back to the 1800s Way now, back. when yeah. they had these ideas. Sure. And I think that it's probably, uh, and it could be God's way of bringing to pass certain prophetic scriptures like Isaiah 27, when he talks about how rare it would be to find a man on the earth. There'll be few inhabitants left. The earth is going to reel to and fro like a drunkard. Uh, it may be 24, but I think it's 27. And it's going to turn upside down. Uh, do you see that as also meaning the earth is about to encounter some cataclysmic shifting in its actual orbital status or, or yeah, uh, absolutely. Plane. I think when the when the, when the Earth is sh shifting like a <clears throat> drunkard, that is, it's going to be thrown off of its axis, right? Wow. There's going to be. I mean, so much of the end times judgment deals with, you know, uh, 
event in space. You know, yeah. they, you know, even I, I even get into how I think there'll be a repeat of the day the, st- the sun stood still in that right. battle that Joshua fought in the land of Canaan yeah. against the Nephilim. That you know, there is there is you know, passages of prophecy that talk about that there will be in that day there will only be light. It will be neither be night nor day. So talking about the Great Tribulation. So I think all those things are going to happen. The earth will be off, off its axis. It talks about the days that were going to be shortened. Yeah. The sun, a third of the sun Darkened, is smitten. Right. The moon turns red. So there are lots of things that are going to happen oh, between the right. sun, the moon, and the earth that are going to change. I think even the way time is calculated on earth because it's not going to be on the same axis in rotation anymore. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, that just means, Ryan, and my final question is, will you come back <laughs> to our show uh, after I've had a chance to read the book. A- a- absolutely. And, and hopefully all of my listeners have, because I know yeah. we'll have more questions. For I-, I think you'll have a lot more questions. Yeah. Uh, I throw a lot of new information out there. Uh, and some very, some very, I think I touch on some theories that no one has really discussed, I think, in centuries. Wow. Uh, so I think you'll have, we'll have, some, we'll have some very good discussions there. Well, I can't wait. Ryan, and once again, just cannot thank you enough for being my guest today. Uh, is th- If there's anything we didn't cover yet that you might want to mention about the new book, about the new documentaries, anything like that, uh, let me know. We'll talk about it now. Um, Did you cover pretty much everything that you've got coming up? Yeah, I think so. I think that really okay. that covers it, and everyone just stay tuned. I've, I, I get I get questions every day about yeah. when is it coming out, when is the new book coming out. It's we're really really close. We're just weeks away, so that's the main thing I want to communicate. Well, I, th- that is fantastic. Uh, I want to say one thing in closing to uh, many listeners that write me uh, have made um, statements, very kind statements about how. They didn't have any idea that there were others that thought like this. Uh, they didn't have any interest in the Bible till they heard this, whatever. Um, if you feel that way about my podcast, wait till you read Ryan's book. It's really your book that almost inspired me to start looking at a way to reach more people. I want to tell you that. That's oh, how important it is to me. I mean, I've been preaching a long time, pastored a small Bible church and traveled a lot. But uh, when I started seeing some of these things, I started realizing we have really got to get this out to the masses. So for those of you that have been saying to me, wow, you're opening my eyes, get Ryan's book. You're going to love it. And if it's not a blessing to you, uh, let me know. You're going to be one of the few (laughs) that ever, ever said that there wasn't something fascinating about this. And then the new book, Ryan, I can't wait. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. I appreciate it. God bless. You too. God bless you. And thanks again for listening. I'm sorry Zena couldn't be with us today. She is the warrior princess, but she will be back in the next episodes that we have. And uh, we just appreciate you. Hope you have a great week. Take care. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.